Hear the Gospel of our Saviour Christ according to Matthew chapter 4 beginning to read at verse 12. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. And his fame spread throughout all Syria. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight our Lord and our friend. Amen. Amen. Very good. Well, it is so good to be with you today. And even though I was half an hour late for my um, class, my theological reflection class, um, year two were very, very gracious. <laughs> and they greeted me with joy. And I felt really welcomed. And we had a, a very deep conversation. We were beginning to touch on some um, very... And I think Anna was encouraged that I looked like I was engaged. So she invited me along to the reading group. And I, I, I thought, no, I really ought to write a sermon. <laughs> no, it looks really good. So no, I'm coming. And I, do you know what? That has really blessed me, um, even though I think we only got through about three paragraphs. But I think that is a great way to, to learn together, uh, have some fun and fellowship, actually, uh, along way, alongside um, getting familiar with Hooker's uh, rhetorical skills and, and his perspective. So that's, I think that's going to be a, a great journey. So thank you for letting me uh, uh, join with you on that. Well, I'm going to tell you, can I tell you, tell you a sad story just before I dive in to Matthew 4? Do you know sometimes, just sometimes, you have a night where you just are tossing and turning and, you know, things crowd into your mind and you may be worried about a few things and, 
uh, and then you, you've woken for some reason and you, it's hard to get back to sleep. Well, I had one of those sort of disrupted nights. I don't know, I, I can't remember which night it was. Fortunately, the Lord's already begun to heal me. But, I, do you know what, this was awful. I, so sometimes when your, your, your anxieties and your, your stresses and strains are magnified at night, you know, sometimes you can really suddenly feel that, actually, it feels demonic. It feels that you're being attacked. Well, I had one of those nights. And actually, the confusion for me was, I didn't know whether it was demonic oppression or whether actually the Lord was trying to break through and tell me some own truths, <laughs> which was, that made it even more disconcerting. But I'll tell you what it was. And it was, it was about these sorts of moments in my life. I, I felt that I was a sort of fly on the wall of people's conversations afterwards, a whole load, and a whole, like, like a cinema of times. And people saying, well, the poor chap hasn't got a clue, has he? <laughs> and it was just, it was the weirdest thing. And I, actually, I got up in the morning, and I just thought I was going to throw the towel in. I thought, I, mean, I can never stand up in front of a congregation again. And the Lord, this is the Lord's sense of humour, I think. I got suddenly two funerals landed on me. And last night, we had an ecumenical healing service. And, and it fell to me to host that with a couple of my colleagues nearby. And um, I preached. I was going to say a few words at the healing service. And, and, uh, and I put this healing service together. And the reading I'd chosen was the healing of the woman with the issue of blood and the raising of Jairus's daughter. That is one of my favorite stories. I was tempted to actually just preach on that. <laughs> but I'm not going to. Um, but actually, the Lord just, it was just a, a joyful occasion, even though I was facing about 40 people who had come with sufferings and were worried about things and, and just wanted to be prayed for, I think. But it was just lovely, and, and, we, and it and actually shaped the way we were praying. You know, Lord, I just want to touch the hem. And it didn't matter what the, the, the complaint was, what the, the concern was, Lord, just let me touch the hem of your garment that I might be healed. And I, actually, I, I, it, it really spoke to me, certainly after that night's broken sleep, that all I just need to touch the hem. I just need the power. I just need your power in my life. Anyway, all that to say, this is another really sort of pivotal moment in the story, uh, the gospel story, and, and, the, and the narrative, the biography of Jesus as Matthew presents it to us. And there's just a number of things about this passage. It was the passage on Sunday. And I said to my congregation on Sunday, I said, I am so excited about this passage. And I saw absolute blank faces back at me. And I said, which is probably bad news for you. <laughs> and I think they knew that was probably bad news for them. So, so here we are. This is, this is Matthew's recollection, this Matthew telling the story, of course. And why this is important, because it, it's, I mean, if, if, if Jesus' life, according to Matthew, was being dramatised on television, I suspect this might be the beginning of the next episode. You know, we may pick up from John being arrested in, in, in the last episode, and just the, the awful sort of uh, um, uh, brick wall that, that confronted John the Baptist sitting in a lonely cell under Herod's uh, prison and maybe the credits would have gone up then um, and as we open into this next scene uh, of the drama we read that when Jesus 
had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And I think what struck me about um, that verse is that Jesus is here constrained by external events in a way I hadn't really reflected on before. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of going to treat this passage we've got before us tonight in two sections. First, I want to think a little bit about the, the, the movement and the geography and place and the context for much of Jesus' ministry, his preaching, teaching and healing ministry. So he, he withdraws, and it's, it's a verb that's used elsewhere, when, when things get a bit sticky <laughs> and um, Jesus is up against it, or there's danger, and he makes a tactical retreat. He withdraws to Galilee. And then we instantly read in verse 13, he left Nazareth. So not only does he withdraw back to his sort of home patch, but he also leaves Nazareth. Now, why did he have to leave Nazareth? That's the question. Why leave Nazareth? What's the answer? What would you say, Dr. McGlinchey? Why do you think he was? Was he under threat there? Yes, I think he was, wasn't he? Were they, not, yeah, they, they didn't really want him around, did they? Where do we learn about that? Luke 4, one, one place, don't we? Took offence at him. Who does he think he is? And Jesus had to explain that only in his hometown is a prophet without honour. So there again, suddenly struck me that Jesus is impacted by external forces. Sometimes, certainly in John's Gospel, you get a feeling that Jesus is just always in charge, does what he pleases. And it, sometimes you can sort of think that the Lord just sort of floated around and, you know, just suited himself. But actually, he was, Jesus was having to discern the atmosphere, the response, the politics, the dangers, all those sorts of things. And this is maybe a, a slight aside, uh, and it may not be a valid aside to make, but sometimes I think we, we can feel as, as Christians that we're principled people and we're not jolly well going to do things differently because this is, this is the right way, this was how we planned it, it's how we've always done it. <laughs> And actually, I think, I actually believe there is, a, there is an irreducible pragmatism to kingdom activity. And I think it's part of the reason that makes being a disciple so jolly difficult. Because there isn't a blueprint that you can just follow. You can't just learn it and think, well, I've got it licked. Every day and every encounter is going to present a challenge to us and the spirit might be wanting to say something to us so that we can embody the kingdom so we can be agents for the kingdom in that encounter and I, I have discovered that this week I've, I've had I've had misses this week and I've had I think thanks to God I think I've had a couple of hits this week and that and I think what I what I learn in that is that those hits were very different contexts 
requiring very different skill set and, um, and equally the, the misses have required a particular skill set and I just didn't take the time to listen to the context and listen to maybe what the spirit was asking me to do. And of course, when we're anxious or stressed, um, then we, the word can be taken away from us. We had the reading this morning at Holy Communion, the, the, the parable of the sower. And I was really struck by the seed that is sown amongst thorns. Because it says that the, the cares of this world, the deceit of wealth and the desire for other things, robs us of the word, chokes the word's ability to have its way in us. But when we allow God's word, when we allow the spirit to use us and we're sensitive to context and all those things, then we, we find ourselves again, even though in human terms it looked like this is plan B, C, D or E, but God, this is the amazing thing about God, he, he anticipates all those things and actually then we suddenly find we're walking in his purposes even though we would never have planned it like this. And that's what Matthew says about Jesus having to withdraw and then leave Nazareth and set up home somewhere else in Capernaum. This was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said. And we've touched on this on Monday a little bit in, 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 in the spirituality that um, this is a reminder that Jesus is enacting his vocation within a much bigger story. And actually it's worth just pausing a little bit and thinking of the geographical area that Jesus is in, the type of place it is, and its significance from that prophecy in Isaiah. So Isaiah, in chapter 9, um, Dr. Heffelfinger, Isaiah is speaking into what situation there? Sorry? Yes. 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 Sorry, I, it was far too technical way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so when, so when we read, for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, that's actually a pretty good description of a conquest, isn't it? And forcible exile and the carting off of tribes and the introducing of other people groups to completely destroy the sense of identity in an area. And the Assyrians were fairly brutal, weren't they? I mean, they weren't nice people. And we, and we, we have seen in our own day the aftermath of war in Syria or in Yemen. And it's horrific, it's brutal. And I, that's the sort of context that Isaiah was saying that the day will come when a light will dawn. So what had actually become Galilee of the Gentiles, a God-forsaken place, literally, is the very place that the Messiah was going to come to. And I think in, in my companion, Dick France, for preparing this passage, I don't think I had properly done business with the makeup of Galilee, and some of you will be will, be, will know more about this than me, but I don't think I had fully appreciated that this area really had been a Gentile area up until relatively recently 
before Jesus. So Capernaum was a Jewish town, I understand, but there was still, I mean, it was still, if not majority Gentile, that area, it was certainly well populated with all sorts of different people. I mean, it was actually a fairly cosmopolitan, multicultural place. Philip, one of the disciples, is a Greek name. Andrew is a Greek name. Simon, Jewish name. Called Peter, a Greek name. From Cephas, an Aramaic name. I mean, this was a sort of melting pot. And it, at best, had a muddied, damaged identity. And this is where the light was going to dawn. Now, it's very hard when we, when we use that phrase, the light dawning. What on earth does that mean? But if we think of that woman reaching to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, one way you could describe her condition after that encounter with Jesus is the light had shone brightly on her. One of the ways we could describe Nathaniel, who was, you called a spade a spade, man's man, when Jesus said, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. I don't know why for Nathaniel, but the light had dawned. The light had come on. When Jesus returned the little girl to, Jair to Jairus and his wife, the light had dawned. The light came on. So anyway, I don't, I don't think really there's, there's much more I want to say about that, except that maybe place is important. And maybe the place that God has put us and will put us in the future is part of his purposes for the light coming on in the world. And I think we do need to do business with the places that we find ourselves. I think there is, a, there is an inherent significance to them, a different type of significance than Galilee, of course, because this was the Messiah and this was a particular moment in salvation history. But by extension, the Jesus ministry, we're, we're going to, we're in the, 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 we're in the Zebulun's and Naphtali's. If we're like um, James and John and, and Simon and Andrew and, and we're following Jesus. So, uh, moving to the second part. Um, from that time Jesus began to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Who's, who else said that? John. Yes, exactly the same message, isn't it? John the Baptist used exactly that. That was the, that was the proclamation. The difference is John's ministry was a, a ministry of pointing to Jesus. And here is Jesus using the words of John coming out of that baptizing ministry around the Jordan and now declaring it again. But this time he is the referent, the reference for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, I'm here. It's me. <laughs> he doesn't say it like that. But that's, that's the point. And it's also interesting to reflect that Jesus came out of the baptizing ministry. I think Jesus was into the action with the baptizing. I think he was doing some of that stuff. Does anyone else think that might, might have happened? 
Dr. McGlinchey, do you think he may have been doing potentially. a bit of backlogging? <laughs> potentially. Yeah, potentially. We don't know. But maybe also just worth thinking of the geography about the baptising ministry. So where did the baptising ministry happen? Happened on the far side, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, I think, predominantly. And people went out to John to be baptised. And that in itself was like a recapitulation of the people of God wanting to come through the Jordan River again and, and re-enter the land, or at least be prepared for what God was going to do when the light came on, when the Messiah came. Who were the people who didn't get baptised? By and large. Andrea, who wasn't getting baptised? Who didn't really want to be baptised by John the Baptist? Yes, all the religious people. And who were then the people who, who Jesus faced opposition from? <laughs> by and large. <laughs> the same people who wouldn't be baptised, people who wouldn't repent. It's quite important to repent, isn't it? You know, to, to turn around and pay attention. So then we have uh, Jesus, then, you know, this, this lovely picture of him walking by the Sea of Galilee. I love the hymn, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. Most of it's nonsense, but there's just something I love about it. I don't understand most of it, actually, but I love it. I had it at my wedding, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, I think that's the sentimental person. It's a 19th century drivel. <laughs> oh, don't, don't quote me. Um, so anyways, so, and, and here's, the, here's the thing. So he... he he walks by the sea of Galilee, sees two brothers, um, and I, I suspect he probably had his eye on, on Simon and Andrew anyway. They're, in the, they're, they're doing stuff, and they're people of action, they're fishing, and Jesus calls them, and this is familiar stuff for you, that follow me, I think literally means something like, get behind me, come behind me. And um, certainly, according to Dick France in his commentary, uh, a rabbi, you would, if you wanted to go and be a pupil of a rabbi, you would follow them. You just start following them around. It must have been a bit weird. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, right, you want to learn from me, okay. Um, whereas the difference with Jesus is he called people. And, uh, and you know, it's a, it's a fairly trivial point, but... Um, Discerning the particular call that, that, that God has on our lives is important. And for all of us, that's quite loaded because we've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And uh, although I think this applies to all Christians, there's a, the, there's a sense in which if we're not very closely behind Jesus, it's going to make it very hard for us to actually call others into discipleship. And I think we need to be ready. And I, I have, and I, I'll be absolutely honest with you, I have really, really resisted this. You know, when Paul talks about, about um, you know, be mimics of me, do what I do. I think actually maturity in, in Christ as a Christian minister should give us the humble authority to say to people, just look at how I'm living my life and... and you know, certainly the good bits, do likewise. I haven't done that very often, I have to say. And I think that's actually a sign of immaturity rather than a sort of humility. So, they, so they're, they're tucked in beside, as then James and John. 
And of course, it isn't all about Jesus just doing stuff to them, inputting information. He does do that, he teaches them in their synagogues. But when, he, when Jesus is embodying and, and demonstrating the kingdom, as we know, he gets them involved in doing the stuff too. It's what John Wimber used to always say, isn't it, Paddy? He'd say, he'd say do the stuff. <laughs> and, 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 and it's for all of us to do the stuff. And so Jesus' way of teaching was to get them to do the stuff. Just a final couple of observations um, about um, being, being called to be fishermen. Um, do you know where else in scripture that expression comes? I, I don't think I would have got this. Katie might get this. Where else does a prophet talk about um, exhorting people to be fishermen? I'll give you a clue. And huntsmen. Jeremiah. It's one of the oracles of judgment. And he talks about going and fishing for the Israelites, the, the scattered Israelites. But they are fished for in order to be judged. The fishing we're called to is a fishing for salvation. Which is, uh, of course, uh, a much more uh, winsome and positive idea. The final thing is about the fishing, which I think is, this is, this I'm not on, not on firm ground with this. Uh, and again, I, I would, would welcome feedback on it. But there is a suggestion that in the Old Testament and in Jewish tradition that Gentiles were associated with the sea and creatures of the sea and maybe fish in particular. So is there here an anticipation of the wider, what would, what, what would, what would come in the future the wider Gentile mission. Because in some ways, the early church, in a fairly short time, wasn't particularly successful at catching Jewish people, but it was very, very successful about catching the fish, the Gentiles. Very good. Well, I, 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 I think I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the end of what I wanted to share with you today. And I, and I, and I so I give you those scattered reflections and those different thoughts and you can then you're free to take those maybe in in directions you would like to take them just finally this phrase um curing the sick or or, or healing um curing every disease and every sickness among the people of course it's fresh in my mind from my healing service last night but I, I do commend to you the, in the prayer book, the service for healing and wholeness. It has a very, I think, very helpful understanding of the scope of healing. Obviously physical ailments, but it talks about broken relationships, talks about those who are lonely, talks about depression and those struggling with mental illness. And I think that, I was trying to think of another way of expressing that. You could say Jesus was, went around putting people back together, 
putting communities back together, reconnecting people, obviously with their physical health, but with their community, with their religious community, with their land. And I think that's a big vision, and I, and I just love that, and I love the way it's then teed up for what's going to come. Amen. We stand to affirm our faith in the words of the King. We believe in one God, Father the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified.